Welcome, everyone, to Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came, a podcast where we discuss the characters, connections, and deeper meanings of Stephen King's magnum opus, The Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. And I'm Sean McGurr. You can email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. To support the show, visit us at patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. In this episode, we'll cover The Stand, book three, chapters 68 to 73. Let's start the show! We begin with Trash Can Man's side of the story of what happened in Indian Springs. He realizes he screwed up and needs to figure out how to find redemption. He may have found what he needs to get back in Flag's good graces. Meanwhile, in Vegas, people are worried that Flag is losing it and are planning on cutting out. Not Lloyd, though, who is resigned to his fate of being the right-hand man to Flag. No longer worried about Tom Cullen escaping east, Flag searches for the group heading west. We get a recap of their journey, including Stu breaking his leg. Larry, Ralph, and Glenn continue on and are captured by Flag's men. Glenn is shot by Lloyd under Flag's orders. Ralph and Larry are sentenced to a public execution in front of all of Vegas, Lloyd, and Flag himself. And then, the Trash Can Man returns. The Trash Can Man returns. Jay, we have led up to the climax here in our penultimate episode on our coverage of The Stand. It all has led up to this moment in which our characters seem to actually take a stand of sorts, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. But I really think we should talk about Trash Can Man as he is the focus of two of the chapters early on in this section that we discussed, and then obviously plays a big role in the last chapter. Who knew that old Trashy was going to be such a key, pivotal, important character? I did. I've read the book before. Yeah, me too. Okay. Yeah, you wouldn't think that somebody whose name is Trash Can Man would be such an important figure, but here he is. Well, I mean, you also have the Rat Man. <laughs> well, there is that, yes. Where has he been? This is like a really interesting turn for Trash Can Man. We've spent some time with him. We know his backstory. We know a lot of the things he's been through since the plague started including the quite harrowing experience that he had with the kid. And it seemed like he was, it was like finally fitting in, finally doing okay. And then somebody makes fun of him and it's just like flashbacks and misunderstandings. And he just slips right back into his old ways of just burning down the world as a defense mechanism. Yeah. Totally understandable. He's got a lot of stuff that he's always dealing with. The crazy slash scary slash sad part about it, though, is that he realizes he catches himself. He's planted all these bombs and he stops and he realizes this is bad. I shouldn't do this. I should go take all the bombs away, undo them all. But that like that instinct is overpowered by his lust for the fire. And that's really what's driving him. Yeah, it's like an an addiction or a compulsion that he Mm -hmm. can't tear himself away from. And I don't think he is quite as concerned about the, like he is to some extent, concerned about the people that he's actually killing with these fires and explosions. But 
he realizes what it's going to do with his relationship to flag himself yeah and how flag had saved him and gave him a purpose and when when i said redemption earlier like he wants redemption from flag he wants atonement in the eyes of flag that's what he's looking for and he's even started to realize like i i'm not worthy of some of this stuff he says or we're told he was dressed in a strange imitation of the dark man but he had thrown away his red flawed amulet he didn't deserve to wear it he had proved unworthy and like all imperfect devils he had been cast out and i thought that was a nice reversal of how we usually think of things so Satan was an imperfect angel and was thrown out of heaven and he landed in hell. Mm. And here the trash can man has been proven unworthy and is an imperfect devil who has been cast out of Vegas, Sin City, hell, the evil side of things. And so it's sort of that opposite. Like, so if he was thrown out of hell, where does that leave him in heaven or at least in the real world or somewhere else? But that reversal becomes of interest when we see what happens towards the end here right because what role does trash can man play in this story i've been likening him to an agent of chaos throughout this that he's not really on one side or the other he's just sort of there for the destruction Mm -hmm. but that twist here at the end he's almost seen as like an instrument of god to some extent right yeah i mean we see the almost literal hand of god yeah come down from the sky and and set off the nuclear bomb and it's trash can man who brings the bomb he unearths it he transports it across the desert and brings it to the center of the crowd of people gathered for the execution if you want to read this as as this christian story if you want to say that it's god moving all the pieces around the chessboard trash can man is is definitely an instrument of god here I mean, I guess you could apply that logic to every character in the story that even Flag himself is an instrument of God or something like that, because it's all part of a, a grand plan. But uh, I like where you're going with this, that if you're cast out of heaven, you go to hell. If you're cast out of hell, what's left for you to go and except up? And so in being cast out of hell, he's no longer a devil. Right. He hasn't become an angel, but he has... He's gained the possibility to be a force of good in this massive destruction, the single biggest fireball he has ever created. He also wipes out all of the bad in the world, too, or the the, the last remnants of the bad. Right. And so in our eyes, looking at it from the, quote, good guy's point of view, Mm -hmm. perhaps he has gotten that redemption that he was looking for he was just not receiving it from flag he's receiving it from somewhere else or some other power right because in our minds he did the right thing to some extent or at least he solved the problem that existed yeah i mean let's not give him too much credit here it's <laughs> not like trash came in decided to bring a bomb and blow everybody up with it he brought a bomb as a, an offering <laughs> yeah he wanted to get back into Flag's good graces by giving him the most powerful weapon on, on Earth. It, it was not his plan to blow everybody up with it. True. So we probably should talk a little bit about Flag here. Yeah. And as we're talking about this, I, I'm starting to realize that Flag is almost like, he almost has like Dr. Manhattan powers, right? He could see everything that's going to happen up to a certain point. And beyond that, his prescience is gone, right? Like mm. when we get to this point when Larry and Ralph are about to be executed, 
Glenn has already been killed and, and Stu's been left behind. Flag realizes all is going as I, as I see it. Like we've captured them. A- at some point, Whitney's going to speak up and I'm going to get rid of him. But then Trash Can Man shows up. He's like, I didn't foresee this. I didn't know what was happening. And all of this is part of the fact that Flag has seemingly grown weaker since Mother Abigail died. And we've hinted at this in our previous episodes about how there seems to have been something that happened with Flag. And Lloyd actually puts this into words. He says, everything was going so good right up to the night he came and said the old lady was dead over there in the free zone. He said the last obstacle was out of our way, but that's when things started to go funny. Obviously, the things that have gone funny are the things we've seen previously, which is Flag losing control of, of capturing the spies and them getting killed before he could get further information, Tom Cullen escaping, people who are starting to skedaddle out of Vegas because they're like, hey, this scene is not good. Flag killing Nadine, him losing his baby, like yep. all these things. Uh, and Flag's powers have weakened. All he has is the eye now that he sends out to find the, the troop that's coming from the Boulder Free Zone. Could you say that his powers have begun to flag? Oh, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that, Jake. <laughs> is Mother Abigail dying what's causing Flag to lose his power? Is it that things need to be balanced in the world in some way? And that's why Flag is losing his power? I asked myself a very similar question. Can evil not flourish without its counterbalance in the world? I don't know that the answer to that question outside of the story is the same as the one within the story. Mm. In the, the construct that King has built here, it seems to me that the answer is no. Without darkness, you can't have light. And without light, you can't have darkness, right? You And in this case, you can't have evil without as a a counterbalanced good. And Mother Abigail was the other side of the coin for Flag. So as long as the two existed, they could both grow in power and grow in influence. But once you removed one from the equation, the other one would very soon start to fade until the second one is also gone. And that seems to be what's happening to flag flag thought of abigail as his enemy like if he could destroy her that means he would win but because abigail did the trope of going off into the wilderness and and then ultimately perishing because of that journey that spiritual journey she sacrificed herself in this equation to take flag off the board there's no way that she could have confronted him directly but by just removing herself from play he effectively is diminished to the to the point where he can no longer succeed. Right. As he's losing these powers and losing his his hold on the people around him, the only one who will stick around is Lloyd. And it's because Lloyd has not only tied his wagon to flag, but like the trash can man to some extent, realizes like I would be dead in a prison after eating a fellow prisoner's leg if it wasn't for flag. And so I owe him something. And that's what he tells uh, Whitney, right? Or Whitey or whatever that guy's name is, because he yep. can't do it. So even though he knows he might be on a sinking ship, he's willing to go down with it because what other choice does he have? It even hints that he might be smarter or brighter because of that. And so, you know, because he's done this and he's, he's tied to it, he's the one who ends up sh- killing Glenn. And I don't know if that's because Flag can't do it. Like we see Flag has some power still, like he he shoots that blue ball out of his fingers to blow up 
the the lock on the jail cell right? on the jail cell but then also whitey later on when he he speaks up against flag so he's still got some of these powers but then when it comes to glenn and glenn's like i know i'm gonna die and i don't care and i'm not scared of, of you flag flag doesn't do it he forces lloyd to do it and he yells at him can't you do anything right shoot him you moron shoot him he's standing right in front of you and after a couple of misses lloyd's finally able to 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 kill glenn and that's what flag wanted i guess to some extent like i i don't know if that was sort of a last like you're on my side trying to keep lloyd there or or flag didn't have the power to do it or or what that was but like that's sort of flag's last gasp in some ways i kind of saw that to have two possibilities and they're not mutually exclusive one is that flag's powers have faded to the point where he simply couldn't like he can do the can do the little tricks he can make the little zip zaps come you know happen that the you know he can unlock a jail cell but he can't just will glenn dead yep he can't say stop breathing in a like like flag does in a certain movie adaptation the other option is that glenn because of who he is the influence that he's had the contact he's had with mother abigail and his own very true belief that Flag is a joke, basically, is almost like a, a, a mystic shield. Glenn is somehow impervious to dark magic, whatever you want to call it, whatever it is that Flag can do, his, his version of, of magic, all of those traits that Glenn has make him impervious to that. So Flag just simply can't attack him, even if he were at the height of his power. Sorry, Glenn's off limits directly, but you can tell one of your minions to shoot him because that's not a magical solution. That's not right. You know, like I guess Flag could push Glenn off the roof of a building and Glenn would die when he hits the ground, but he couldn't use his magic to explode Glenn's head or something like that. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit about this some more, but. It seems as if Flag's power flows from the fear that people have of him. Mm -hmm. And Lloyd in that moment is still afraid of Flag. Very much so. Dana, when she is able to escape Flag's grasp, realizes like he's still a joke and I'm not I'm still scared for my life, but I'm not afraid of him and what he can do to me. Mm -hmm. and, and so she's able to escape. And we'll talk more about the the climax, but I'm wondering if that's a part of it and that's Glenn is obviously not afraid of Flag. No at all first he's afraid when he walks in in and he feels the cold and his arthritis gets bag and then when he sees flag he's like oh you're just a guy and i don't know why i'm scared of you i'm not and he just laughs at him and is and doesn't show any fear and that's what really sort of turns flag so yeah he's like uh pennywise you know his, his power comes from the fear and when you decide that you're not afraid of him or if you truly just aren't afraid of him yep his power goes away yeah even if you're not afraid, bullets can still kill you. So that's why uh -huh. Lloyd has success. So, <laughs> all right. Well, so Glenn dies and all that's left is Larry and Ralph. And obviously Ralph has not been an important part of the story other than, you know, him being close to Mother Abigail and being one of the four. But he has not been one of our main characters throughout the book. But Larry, on the other hand, has. Yes. And I would propose that out of all of the main characters in the book, Larry has the most clear and distinct character arc from beginning to end. And we've talked about this numerous times over the course of this book, but this is the point where the Larry that we knew 
at the beginning of the book, the rock star who is living up the high life on drugs and booze and women and really doesn't care about anyone other than himself Mm -hmm. has changed. And he becomes what King writes it as the old wound in himself had finally closed, leaving him at peace. He had felt the two people that he had been all of his life, the real one and the ideal one, merge into one living being. And this is Larry really becoming above and beyond what he was and becoming sort of greater than the Larry that we knew and ultimately changing. And unfortunately, it happens like in his dying moment, but it happens. and. Larry is really the most interesting character in this book for me because of that. And to borrow one of King's favorite words, Larry reaches his most ideal self at the moment of his own death. He, he dies at his apotheosis, mm-hmm. right? And that's great. I guess you could say in, from a certain perspective, it's all downhill from here for Larry. <laughs> right. If the bomb didn't go off and he somehow escaped from that cage and managed to walk back to Boulder, I guess he could live out a, a long, happy life, but it would, he would never reach the height of this one moment. Yeah. He'd still be this better version of himself. He, he dies at, at, at his best moment. After all the conflicts that he's had with himself throughout. Yeah. How he should treat his mother, how he should treat the women that he's with, whether or not he should be part of the committee whether or not he really believes in what's happening and what's going on. And then earlier in this section that we read, when, when Stu falls down and he realizes he's the leader and he needs to be the next one to go, and he's not sure if he can do it. And Ralph and Glenn sort of say, like, yeah, it's got to be you. And Stu takes him aside and says, yeah, you got to be you. And he's concerned that he's not, or they're concerned that he wants to stay with Stu, not because of Stu, but because he's scared of what's going forward. And he ultimately does it but you could still sense that there's that tension within him and all that fades away at, at this last moment when he really realizes like, this is what we've got to do. We've got to face it off. And, and like Glenn, he's not afraid anymore, not afraid mm-hmm. of flag and he's willing to do what's right and, and speak up. And he and, and Ralph and they, they have this mantra that they start saying like, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. And I don't know if Larry truly believes it until that last moment. And he's willing to, to realize it and become that and become his ideal self. And so he's made that incredibly difficult journey as a person, not only just as a, the, the actual physical journey of surviving the plague, making it to Nebraska, making it to Boulder, now making it to Vegas, but the, the emotional journey that he's met. Just, it, it's really well done for a character you're not sure is going to be like that at the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. And that maybe isn't even set up to be that way. Stu is sort of like the hero that you think we're going to have throughout. And Larry does not seem like the hero, but he turns into one. Yeah, Stu maybe has the second most growth in the, over the course of the story. But he doesn't, but it's still not a lot compared to Larry. No, because he started off as such a high place, Stu. You know, like the very first thing we see Stu do is something heroic. Yeah. He shuts off the gas tank to save that gas station from blowing up when patient zero runs into it. Mm-hmm. He's heroic from the moment we see him. Whereas Larry's not Larry's getting spatulas thrown at him. He's being told you ain't no good guy. It's constantly obstacles. And so he does have a lot more to grow. Yep. So Sean, we've talked about trash can man. We've talked about flag. We've talked about Larry. There's one more character. We absolutely have to mention. Oh yeah. Who's who's that? Jay? 
the Rat Man. Oh yeah, the Rat Man. I've mentioned him. Okay. All right. There you go. All right. So, I mean, we've we've said it. This is the climax of the book. Like, this is the big finale. And the question is, is this the stand? Yes. I mean, yes. The book is the stand. But, like, what is the stand that they take? Is it Glenn standing up and being shot? Is it Larry and Ralph being put into shackles and accepting their fate? Like, it seems like there's this buildup to a confrontation between the good guys and the bad guys, Flag and Mother Abigail, or Flag and our, and our heroes. And what 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 exactly is the stand here, Jay? Like, what is the action they take? Because ultimately, there's that theory about Raiders of the Lost Ark that like like the events that happened in the movie really wouldn't have changed that much if Indiana Jones wasn't involved. The Nazis still would have found the Ark. They would have taken it to the island and they would open it and all their faces would have melted off, whether or not Indiana Jones is Spoilers! Uh, yeah, spoilers for a 40-year-old movie that's been seen by literally probably 95% of the people who listen to this. So, did it make a difference? What did they do, Jay? What did they do? Going back to the whole uh, Christian story, God's plan thing, my interpretation is this. The four, I guess, pilgrims, we'll call them, mm. minus Stu. The purpose that they needed to serve was to be there in Vegas. So Flag would have representatives of the enemy to publicly execute and draw the entire population of Vegas into one spot so that they would all be there when Trash Can Man brings the nuclear bomb in and the hand of God sets the bomb off. Mm. If Trash Can Man had arrived the next day, or the day before, he would have just driven up somewhere and maybe blown up flag or not. Like he would have just, none of these things would have happened. So this, this has to be a series of coincidences that look like divine, you know, intervention. So this is the hand of God, you know, working through these characters to set this up. If the sacrificial pilgrims were not there to be publicly executed none of the rest of the this ending could have happened mm. not in this way and because there was some element of it that even outside of flag's ability to predict this was maybe the only way that he could be caught off guard enough that, that he could be counted among the people who are killed by the bomb so that's the best interpretation i can come up with yep and so in that case, the stand that they make, if again, we want to take the book at its title and we want to take what Mother Abigail said that they were going to do, you're going to have to take a stand against Flag, was them not fearing him and making their presence known enough that they could be there and face off against him, even if it wasn't in a physical confrontation, in such a way that they were all gathered together and that it wasn't necessarily anything in their doing but their doing made something else happen i mean i guess there's a, a another layer down on that that larry's presence and glenn's presence and ralph's presence they serve as a direct contradiction to flag mm. and a distraction to flag everybody else in vegas to some degree or another basically have lost faith in flag if Flag's uh, source of power is people's fear, 
as people stop fearing him as much or don't trust him or think that he doesn't have things under control, that as a collective reduces Flag's power. And then if you bring in someone like Larry or Glenn to say, to just stand right up to Flag's face and tell him, you got this all wrong. And every person that they speak to and interact with along the way, they're like, why are you doing this? Why do you support this guy? How can you, how can you, you used to be a cop. You used to be this before the plague. You were, you were a great person. You were fine. Why are you helping this, this flag guy? And no one can come up with a straight answer. No one can meet them in the eye and, and say, yeah, this is why. Cause they, they just, it's just like conspiracy theories or whatever. And that also undermines flag hmm. because it seems like flag source of power is fear but fear that same source of power is ultimately his undoing because you can't have fear forever if you get somebody to do something for you out of fear and then every time you interact with them you do something to impose fear eventually just the human mind is going to it's going to either buckle and then there will be no more fear because they will just be broken right or they will rebel they'll finally fight back well nothing to lose mentality they'll fight back so either no matter what eventually the fear stops mm. and something replaces it and if your source of power is the fear you it just won't last and so by them not being afraid i, I will fear no evil that's them taking a stand yes either that or the stand was the friends we made along the way on the journey. <laughs> Jay, I think King gets a lot of his reputation for not being good at endings a lot based on this book because there is an actual hand of God, according to the characters, coming out of the sky and ending the the confrontation in this book, it's the climax, right? An actual hand of God setting off a bomb and, and killing everyone in this location. Mm -hmm. And so I think people are like, what? Like, I just read 1,300 pages just to have no actual confrontation between the good guy and the bad guy, but actual have a hand of God blow up a bomb. Like, I think people were very disappointed in this ending. And I think that that leads to that reputation that King sometimes gets. So I'll put the question to you. Do you think that King did this properly? Does that hand of God work here as a climax? I'll say yes. That's not to say like, I don't think there could have been some better version of this, but I think it does work. It works in two levels for me. One is this is very much a Christian story throughout. Almost every page has some Christian language, some Christian symbolism. It has very religious Christian characters, quotes from the Bible everywhere. So if we're going to build to a resolution, if that resolution directly involves God, it kind of tracks. Yeah. The other level is that let's ignore all that Christian stuff that's on the surface and just say this is a battle of good and evil. It's Flag's own hubris. It's Flag's own mistakes and his waning powers that instigate this, you know, crackling blue ball of energy that he has it's his it's his last poof of magic mm -hmm. to execute somebody in a in a spectacular way and 
because that is still present when the nuclear bomb gets close by, that's what sets off the bomb. If if you didn't have the first thing, you wouldn't have the second thing. And lots of people see religious symbols and things in things that don't have that aren't religious. You know, like Virgin Mary in a slice of toast or or what have you kind of thing. Yep. So it's just a a ball of crackling electric energy in the sky that's like cloud and if you look up in this moment of stress and fear and excitement maybe you see it looks like a hand. Yeah, especially after you've been literally roaming the desert for days and are hungry and weak and having visions and you're already a pilgrim who has been to some extent predisposed to thinking that God was going to be part of this by Mother Abigail and everything that mm-hmm. happened. And like they've been told, like, God's sending you, God's sending you, God's sending you. It's not a surprise to think that they might see that. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, either take it out at, at face value, Christian story, hand of God, or somebody sees things. We are all wired to see things in think, where they don't really exist. We, we see shapes in clouds. We see shadows that aren't things. They're just shadows, etc. Why wouldn't a ball of energy in the sky at least briefly resemble a hand? Yep. Yeah, so I will say that, as I said, this was my favorite book for a long time when I was younger, and I distinctly remember huge chunks of this book and and the big plot points. And this was always one that was just sort of like, oh yeah, and then it ended and this is what happened. And I never put too much thought into it. Reading it this time, knowing we were going to talk about it and just being a closer reader and doing a deeper look at this book, all of this is so clearly foreshadowed, like from the beginning, like it almost seems like this is the resolution that had to happen. Mm -hmm. And to your point on multiple different levels, right? Like the good versus evil. Yes. The potential Christianity hand of God piece. Yes. But even just the simple, a nuclear bomb was going to end this. There was going to be fire. The whole thing with trash can man, I I can remember reading this is like, why is this guy here? Why is this guy here? But it's all leading up to this. I'm going to build a bigger fire, a bigger fire, a bigger fire. I'm looking for weapons. I'm looking for like it had to come to an Mm A-bomb. Like there was sort of no other choice that it could end other than this. You know, to tie it all together, like there is that quote that people say about the Bible that God destroyed the world the first time with a flood and it'll be the fire next time. The flood wiped out all of humanity except for Noah and and the people he brought along with him. And in this time, because of the way that the world has been divided, the fire has wiped out all of humanity except for who was left in in Boulder. And so it's almost as if this is a cleansing fire of some sort that God literally got the hand of God has 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 put into place. Knowing where this ends and looking through the book, none of this should come as a surprise how it ends and everything has led up to this. And so even if you don't think that this is the ending that you would want, that you wanted to see mm-hmm. Larry pull out his guitar and smash it over Flag's head, or you wanted, <laughs> you wanted to see Glenn debate philosophy with Flag and blow him up or or something else, it seems to me that this is the only way that made sense in the context of the other previous 1100 pages of this book to lead to and so you know really for the first time in my reading of this i'm going to say like yeah this is a really appropriate ending for this book and 
king doesn't deserve the the flack he takes for having this hand of God appear. It's almost like he gave himself a challenge. Uh, this is entirely my own speculation. Everybody often balks at the idea of a deus ex machina. Mm. That's the cheat. When you resort to a deus ex machina, that means you failed in your right. storytelling. So my speculation is, King said, what if I write a story where a deus ex machina is actually the correct way to end the story? Yep. And that's what he did. He wrote a story where the hand of God makes sense, where, yes, other outcomes could have worked, but this one does work. Mm -hmm. He's probably just chuckling to himself all these years since the book got published. Everyone's like, dude, you wrote a deus ex machina, loser. He's like, yeah, I'm laughing all the way to the bank. Also, I meant to do that. You're right. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking more about how this book all concludes in our final episode next time. But before we get to that, why don't we talk about some Dark Tower themes? The, the first one that I wanted to point out, Jay, is that the serial number on the atomic bomb is A161410USAF. And if you add up the numbers, 16141, and then assign a number one to everything else, so to the A to the zero USAF, those numbers lead up to 19. And I realized I had to do some funky math to make a zero a one and assign each letter a one and one only, but it all checks out, Jay. Uh, yeah, it sure does. <laughs> <laughs> let me put my tinfoil hat on now if you play wizard of oz backwards while you say this it all lines up with a beatles album right the only dark tower thingy i picked up on this section of the book was his name is legion mm. and this has come up in many of stephen king's works including the dark tower where flag himself says that in the gunslinger, he's talking about some other next level evil besides himself, who he refers to as Legion. And then, there, you know, there's a crack of thunder and lightning hits the mountain and a boulder falls off. But then in Storm of the Century, Andre Linoge actually is an anagram for Legion. Yep. This is something that King uses as sort of a synonym for big time evil dude. All right, all of our yucking it ups are around Trash Can Man, so let's hear it. Blah. Big surprise, all of our yucking it ups are about Trash Can Man. Trash Can Man is not in good shape. Like from the beginning of this section, he's wandering the desert and, you know, I think he's described as he looks like the type of person he had become. And so here's a man who has devoted his life to fire. And he is now like sunburned and crackled over and, and looks like a crisp. But that's not the most disgusting thing. Uh, during his travels, I noticed that a scorpion had stung him on the middle finger of his left hand, his fuck finger. And that hand had swelled up like a rubber glove filled with water. An unearthly fire had filled his head. Ugh. Not horribly yucky, but like. Something about latex filled with water just sort of freaks me out. So his hand being all like puffy and blown up like that. I don't like it. The other yucking it up is um, 
He was in the last stages of radiation sickness. His hair was gone. His arms, poking out of the tatters of his shirt, were covered with open-running sores. His face was a cratered red soup from which one desert-faded blue eye peered with a terrible, pitiful intelligence. His teeth were gone. His nails were gone. His eyelids were frayed flaps. Stay away from the A-bombs, folks. We want to take this opportunity to thank our patrons for supporting the show. They get access to exclusive Patreon content, including bonus podcast episodes by becoming a patron. You, too, can become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. Yes, we recently covered I Am the Doorway in a bonus episode, and most recently, the 1984 movie adaptation of Children of the Corn. Jay, we've also gotten some uh, great feedback recently. We did. It's pretty great. Two iTunes reviews, as a matter of fact. First one is from somebody named Twin Cam Aikiko, or Aikiko. And it starts off as, great show, even though I disagree with them. This is a fantastic podcast. The two hosts treat the subject seriously, and yet they don't take themselves too seriously. And they never come off as being pretentious or too geek culture obsessed. Highly recommended. And then Twin Cam Akiko goes on to explain big myths that we have about how we justifiably say that Susanna doesn't get very much agency throughout the Dark Tower books, mm-hmm. but she has a huge decision in the end of book seven that is like the culmination of what King was going for all along. Twin Cam Akiko, I would love to hear from you again because. Send us an email or something. What is this thing that we missed? Because we have clearly missed it so completely that I'm not sure what you're referring to. Uh, So please enlighten us. I would really like to know. But then uh, Twincam Akiko goes on to uh, or concludes her review with, as of October 2020, I'm currently on my fifth reread of the series and leading a book club for it. This is a podcast that I will recommend our readers listen to for sure. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Yes. Hello to you and to hopefully all of your uh, book club members. That's that's nifty. Yep. Our second review uh, recently is from Justin Spear, who titled his review, Great Discovery. I'm dumb. I'm sure you're not dumb, Justin. I'm dumb and love Stephen King. I can read a whole chapter and not be able to tell you a thing I read sometimes. Reading while listening to this has been really helpful and inspires me to keep going. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Justin. I appreciate that. I think yes, both you and Twin Cam Akiko, this is sort of what we were looking for. We wanted it to feel like a, a book club and we wanted to feel like you were all members reading along with us. So not only do we inspire you, but uh, you guys inspire us to keep on reading. So glad you enjoy it. And Justin, anybody who listens to our podcast automatically is not dumb. Absolutely. All right, so it is time for fun stuff. All right, fun stuff. So, Jay, my first fun stuff is not fun stuff. Hey, I thought this was fun stuff. When he realizes that he knows who's coming west towards Vegas, he gets giddy with excitement, right? Like, he's just like, oh, I'm going to get these guys, and I'm going to bring them all over. And he says, I'm going to put all four of their heads on pikes around Las Vegas and make everyone look at it and know that I am all powerful and that'll turn things around. And then he reconsiders Jay and he says, five heads, 
he would put the dog's head up on a pole too. That's not fun. Don't don't behead the dog and don't put the dog's head on a pike. Luckily, we know because King always undercuts this stuff that uh, Kojak is going to live for another fourteen years or whatever. So we know he's not going to mm-hmm. get killed by flag. So, so when I read this, I just burst out laughing, and it made me think: Is this where the expression "pound sand" comes from? I've never thought about it beyond just like telling somebody, you know, just get out of here, go do something useless. And the line is, oh, you're a card. I tell you what to do. Why don't you find a nice big sand pile, get yourself a hammer and pound all that sand right up your ass. (laughs) Look, when, so when I say go pound sand to somebody, am I implying all the rest? Like pound the sand up your ass? You imply whatever you want when you, you use pound sand, and I'll imply whatever I want, and I say pound sand. <laughs> yeah. So I have two really sort of stupid ones that are fun stuff, uh, which maybe says more about me than it does about fun stuff. But it's Lloyd, when Lloyd is getting drunk because he realizes that his fate's tied to a flag, and he's making drinks for himself and, and Whitney, and he held up a plastic real line, looks just like the green giant's left testicle. He says, again, sort of lame, but that's sort of how Lloyd is, sort of lame, right? Yeah. And then later on, he's he's talking about uh, about things. He's like, with fiends like that, who needs enemas? Which is terrible, but that's Lloyd for you. And again, it appealed to me because I'm that lowbrow. <laughs> <laughs> you have Lloyd's sense of humor. Yeah. As our reviewer earlier said, we are not pretentious at all and never take ourselves too seriously. Well, yep, that's it. That's it. Yep. Another thing that I kind of chuckled at was that when Larry and Ralph are in their individual cages and the chains with handcuffs welded onto their ends are fastened to their wrists, the implication is very clear that these trucks are going to drive in separate directions and rip these guys apart. It's going to be like an old style drawing and quartering type of, of thing. But pretty sure that if you just fasten a handcuff to somebody's wrist fix them in place and pull really hard it's just gonna rip their hands off that's gonna suck it'll hurt a lot but it's not like an execution that uh, you don't kill somebody by chopping off their hands at least not immediately no if you've listened to our bonus podcast of gerald's game you might not even rip off their hand you might just deglove them yeah i don't think i had ever noticed this until you said it when we planned this because this was always one that sort of freaked me out when I was younger. Drawing and quartering, as done in the old days, was a horrible way to die, right? Like, horses mm-hmm. would yank you apart. And to do it with cars, I was always like, oh, my God, this is terrifying. But then when you explained it, I'm like, yeah, wait a minute. This wouldn't work at all. And maybe that's why Larry and Ralph were able to laugh at Flag, because they realized, wait, how you're killing us is really sort of stupid. I'm not afraid of you. I wonder if there's a way for you to, like, interlock your wrists so that now the all the pressure on the chain is on itself and not actually your flesh oh yeah somehow like you know like twist the chain together in a knot and now it's like the trucks are going in opposite directions they're just pulling chain against chain truck against truck titan against titan (laughs) titan against a titan so the beginning of the chapter when the four pilgrims are making their way across the desert starts with glenn saying this sucks and he's referring to the fact that they're in the desert, they don't have food, his arthritis is, is getting bad. 
And then later on, after Stu breaks his leg, Larry's like, this sucks. And I realized like things always get worse. And then when we finally get to the end of the chapter, there's an A-bomb going off. And that really sucks. Uh-huh. There's always something that sucks worse than what sucks right now. Yep. We've got one last fun stuff, Jay. Both you and I noticed this. Yeah. It makes me think that King wrote a 1,300-page book just so he could put in a stupid pun. And it's about Trash Can Man. He had never faltered in his resolve to bring it back to the Dark Man, referring to the A-bomb. You could say that he never flagged in his determination. Yep, 1,300 pages. For a stupid flag pun. All right, well, that's going to be all for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Links to all of our social media is available in the show notes. If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. Next episode, join us as we finish our coverage of The Stand discussing book three, chapters 74 through 78, and the circle closes, and then wrapping up our thoughts on the book. For Jay Russo, I'm Sean McCurr. Thanks for listening. But is it the, uh, about, I will not let fear, uh, uh, damn it, damn it. Don't fear the reaper. Yeah. I will not fear the reaper. Oh, Christ almighty. Why did I do this? I can't. Yeah. I forgot what it is. None, none shall pass.